welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Serena gonçalves Fersh, an experienced L&D leader with 20 years in the profession, having worked at IBM, KPMG, and most recently at CloudReach, where she was global head of learning. This episode, we talk about the research Serena is conducting as part of her doctorate on the future of our profession. It's a fascinating conversation. Now, let's get into it. Serena, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you for having me, David. Uh, now, to kick us off, during these unprecedented times, how are you doing and how have you adapted to lockdown? I'm actually doing quite well, um, surprisingly well, because um, for, for, for me, being in, uh, I, I happen to be not working at the moment. I finished my contract at the end of January. Mm. Uh, having time to read, to do things around the house and to have Wi-Fi and my child and husband, I, I think it's such a luxury. I haven't mm. had this in, in absolute year, years. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the homeschooling and and the, and and the everyday cooking but otherwise it's absolutely it, it's been very fine mm. um i'll just add yeah i was talking to some friends uh, in in the building and you know one of them her her dad was an ambassador in in one one of the african countries when when um a coup broke out and another mm. one was from iron curtain eastern europe and i remember growing up with you know the, the odd terrorist attack or mm. and when you were told to stay home you stayed home yeah. uh, and you didn't complain about it <laughs> and you knew that uh, if you went out you would it would not be safe for you i think this is what we have at the moment is absolute luxury and and mm. we're staying home to stay safe and to keep others safe i, I think um and we have Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good to hear that, uh, that you're adapting you and you're coping well, Serena. Uh, and as I mentioned in the introduction, you're an experienced L&D leader with 20 years in the profession, having progressed to senior leadership level. But you've taken time out, as you mentioned, to complete a doctorate at Middlesex University on, and I'm going to try to get this right, please correct me um, uh, if I don't, on the future of learning in tech and startup organisations. Um, could you start off by telling us what led you to your decision to study this now? Okay. Um, so it was a couple of years ago, uh, I found that there was a gap. Everything I was reading, uh, the thought leadership, the, um, the, the articles and the, the studies being done uh, was very different from what I was experiencing on the ground. Mm. Um, it was also felt different it also felt different for uh, the people, the L&D leaders who were starting out or setting up a function. Mm. Uh, it was also surprising to me that there was always the assumption that L&D would always exist or mm. the learning function would always exist. And it got me thinking with the amount of knowledge being free now around um, you know, the internet and, and the amount being of it being accessible, what was our... USP, what were we bringing to the table? Um, the last thing was uh, the sudden realize, realization that we don't talk as a function and as a profession how adults learn, mm. how they absorb information. We were becoming, it felt to me like magpies. Uh, we, were, we were going after buying whatever, the, whatever technology, whatever the silver bullet was mm. the next cool thing out there. Um, 
but we didn't fundamentally know how people developed, how they absorbed information, how they changed behaviors based on that, and mm -hmm. how they applied their knowledge and skills. It felt a little like we were spraying and praying through a whole through a whole lot of content yeah. um, in different ways and seeing how we can make a difference. So it it was all of this. It started out by just wanting to read everything about it. And I was extremely lucky to meet uh, with Dr. Brian Sutton at, at Middlesex um, and, and a few conversations with him and then Don. And I realized that, that this is something, this is something that somebody from the L&D community should be addressing beyond of the consultants and the thought leaders and the vendors and, and um, the ones selling into the profession. Mm. Uh, it's something where we on the ground when we're either transforming an organization or building learning function or a talent function in a startup need to be giving a voice, having a voice in. Mm. I, I, I'm with you, Serena. I think that, um, the, that there is a lot of noise around um, what L&D could be doing and should be doing. Uh, it's very different when you're experiencing it in-house, when you have the expectations uh, of internal stakeholders, um, uh, as well as other members of the learning and development team within it to, to do what's necessary, to do what's required and expected, um, rather than necessarily thinking about how, how you're going to, to push your own practice forward. But I'd, I'd be interested, you um, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but the context in which you're looking to to complete the studies in tech and startup organizations. Uh, why, did you, why did you choose that? And do you think that that then means that it's not, not going to be easily applied to more established organizations? Uh, there's a third element. So there's tech and startup organizations, but there's also organizations who have had to fundamentally change their operating model ah. through digital transformation. Mm. Um, so organizations which um, learning has had to play a part in the transformation uh, of, the, of the business. And mm. I want to see how we did it and if they and, and how we did it well. Um, so I, I picked the, the group because technology is is... Without doubt, the 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 guy, the leading factor in in the creation uh, of organizations now. Any study tells you that there's more startups um, in technology now than ever before, and companies are growing, merging, being acquired, and even folding that at a faster mm. pace than ever before. And all of it com is coming down to essentially their ability to change, largely guided by technology and their operating model. So. I chose a, a narrower scope so I could go deeper. I also think that when uh, you're in a, a in a startup or a hyper growth organization, you have to think uh, differently. You've mm. got to think about how, with the with the limited resources you have and the knowledge that you bring to the table and a different size or makeup of a team, how you can get you can keep pace and and most effect. Uh, performance and business change and align yourself best to business strategy. So I thought that it would be um, more, well, not more beneficial because I think there'll be use in this for, for everyone, but I, I thought it would be um, easier to start from the bottom up and look at how we build uh, as opposed to look at, at vast companies with with more uh, established L and D structures, mm. um, and I, yeah, I, I recognise that that, uh, that in a in a smaller organisation, the critical path seems more obvious than an established one, especially if you're working in a in um, 
uh, an inward looking service function, uh, for example. But I'm sure with the second, with the third part that you've added there with digital transformation, there aren't too many yeah. organizations who uh, fall outside of that as, um, as organizations look to adapt their business models to, um, to flex to what is um, uh, an adapting and changing consumer market. And I wondered, Serena, what do you hope to gain uh, apart from a doctorate from the work that you're doing? <laughs> Yes, like my husband's German. I like the idea of being called Frau Dr. Fiasch. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, the doctorate almost became, you know, I, 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 like you said, spent 20 years in, in the field. It's the only profession I know. Um, it is, it was a way for me to learn more and spend more time developing myself. It's not, the doctorate has never been attached to any organization or funded by anything. It, it's, it's all me by myself. What I'm trying to achieve is just a, an inward look at ourselves mm. uh, because I have learned so much in the, in the last two years. I've learned um, that we need to think about how, uh, you know, how we learn using mm. our brain uh, and how, therefore, we should be disseminating information so people use their brain, you know, the, the whole concept, the whole of neuroscience technologies. Mm. Um, I've learned about going back to education theories, which have been around for so long and we don't fully use them. You know, you, if you told me con constructivist, I'd have probably said a guy who works with Lego or, mm. you know, Pierre Jet was the fellow who makes good watches. But it, it, these are things that we've forgotten along the way. We talk about performance consulting. I think Robinson and Robinson wrote about that in 92 or 93. Yeah. It, these are all, this is all there and it exists. And I'm not entirely sure that we're using it to its best. Mm. On the other hand, we have stuff which we are, milking the life out that probably should be sunset and how we measure is, is mm. one of them. Um, and, you know, the, our effectiveness is on, you know, happy sheets and butts on seats. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's looking at going back to the core of the learning profession. How do we develop people to affect business performance, mm. individual development, a career for the people we work with and keep pace with the changing needs of uh, both the organization and the industry using the skills that we come with. And I want to take a better look at the skills that we're expected to come with. Yeah. And I think what firms should expect us to come with. But what you described there is so important because it's the context, the context in which people are expected to perform. Uh, I think that sometimes a lot of learning and development gets lost because we remove what we do from the context and then we get lost in delivery methods. So, um, we, 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 we might get lost in um, uh, things need to be social, they need to be fun, they need to be this, they need to be that. Um, and of course, when you remove it completely from its context, as if it operates in a vacuum, you always create an argument that is so full and so complete, it's difficult to challenge, um, which is all fine until it lands in an organisation. And what we're talking about is the way that people assimilate into a role, into a department and ultimately an organisation and most um, efficiently and effectively do enough of the right stuff to get the right results. And there'll be milestones along the way, 
in more structured organizations, there may be KPIs or OKRs, but ultimately it's about performance and results. So if we are not accepting that there is a culture, there's a distinct culture in which people um, survive, thrive or die, um, there is um, uh, there are expectations that are set implicitly and explicitly, and it is about work performance. If we don't acknowledge that, then everything else is superfluous. It doesn't matter. And I don't know about you. My next question I'd love to ask you is, 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 um, where, where you assess we are right now with the lens that whilst we may not know about learning theory or, or, or learning in front of professionals, uh, understanding of, um, of the profession and their work isn't grounded in th- either the most um, appropriate or the most recent theory. What is it that you're all, that you've also seen from your research that has you think this is out of date? We've got to we've got to look beyond this and towards X. Yeah. Uh, so I, I should caveat by saying the research is still very early, early mm. days. So all the evidence is uh, anecdotal and it is opinions and uh, it is very it, it is from some of the best brains of the in- industry. And I'm grateful, very grateful for you. Uh, being part of it as well, David, but uh, it's an important caveat to make. Mm. I think more themes will emerge uh, as we go along and they'll, it'll, they'll be more well-rounded to link themes with, with ideas yeah. for, for, for the way forward. That said, I completely agree with you. We, learning has become a sort of, it's an event. Mm. It sits so far away from the point of need. By the time the need is cascaded to L and D, somebody has already decided that it what the solution is. So somebody mm-hmm. has already decided that this is a course I need, or this is a system I need, or and and funnily enough, it's quite often not not L and D. Yeah. Um, and we've therefore we, we've it or it, it feels like we're, because we're far away from the point of need. By the time people uh, have to address it, we're playing a catch up game. Mm-hmm. If you ask somebody in an organization, so when you didn't know that, where did you find it? They probably first say, the guy sitting next to me, and then they'll say Google. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how many times they say, I went on the LMS and did a search. And and it's probably because, again, the association of need, learning is still pitched as something you take yourself away from the day job Mm. in order to do. The we talk about continuous and you know in the, learning in the flow of work this person says but which was you know a, a concept again from about 50 years ago mm. but what actually happens what we the solutions we then offer are either um, an event based or we put into these brackets of you know, social learning, collaborative mm. learning. Now you will get together and have a discussion. <laughs> uh, almost like if we haven't controlled how it's taken place, learning hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, and the to that point, if we find ourselves, you know, and, and we say it as well, or, disconnected from HR or disconnected from talent acquisition or disconnected from business strategy or disconnected from finance or disconnected from operations. And then when you put that all together, especially in these times, you go back and think, so why do I exist? Yeah. I think that's the question I'm coming back to. Um, If you aren't part of directly impacting business performance, contributing to a business's existence and furthering its strategy, through the performance of its employees, 
why do we exist? Yeah, sometimes I, th- I find that uh, that we rely on the answers of our byproducts. So what we say is that we provide programs and content which uh, may not directly impact performance, but can provide people with a level of comfort and immersion and reflection, which isn't the reason that we do it. But it's almost as if because the by- because there is a byproduct or maybe a byproduct, it almost validates our existence. But that's in the absence of what you're saying of fully understanding what it is that people are people are seeking to do in the context of their work or their assimilation in service of their results. Learning and development for too long have you, you talk about alignment there. In my mind, um, the misalignment occurs at the very first conversation as we trans as we seek to translate a performance and results problem into a learning problem. We look for standardized solutions from aggregated needs in inverted mm-hmm. commas. Those come down often as a one and done immersive program for which people cannot recognize their performance problem from that. How many people turn up to a program and say, I don't know why I'm here? It's because of the distance and the level of abstraction that, that an initial need has taken. That distance a lot of the time leaves our solutions, again in inverted commas, fatally flawed. Um, what, what I think what I'm liking from what you're talking about here is that that lays a focus on the reason that we exist in organizations. And there is a clear reason in the age of Google, Google can provide us with instant access to true experts in any field, but it provides us with absolutely no information, know-how and insights with, with what successful people do inside our organizations. And not just at an organizational level, because what happens across different geographies is different. What happens across different departments is different. How you are expected to operate within a distinct role Mm -hmm. or job level is very, very different. But often we value generic programs and content over solving those problems and therefore we leave ourselves almost open to to criticism and are largely ineffective i don't know if that's uh, uh, that's that's what you've experienced you're, you're absolutely right and brian calls this the two faces of janice and i i like that this thing because there's there's two there's two components to learning and both mm. of them come down to why are we asking people to learn Mm. Uh, you know, we, we need, why, why do we need to learn how people learn? And then why are we telling them to do this? And it's, mm. it's basically, there's your L&D for, for business as usual, right? This, the skills, the, 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 the technology, the, 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 the things that uh, content addresses and solves, learning mm. in order to do your job properly. But that's the second element. And if we start looking at future organizations, all of these things are important, but we haven't, address them directly, you know, learning for creativity, learning for innovation, learning to um, to be forward-looking, all mm-hmm. the things that, you know, I think even Copland writes about this, uh, the, the future of work, the future organization, what it's expecting of us. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we, we're teaching. We, we, we do a lot of the BAU things and we have, mm-hmm. you know, our systems and our, our databases and our course curriculums in order to hit parts of the BAU. Mm. Um, and But the way we do it is it's all there. It's a nice big chunk of stuff. And, and either you or I will wade through it um, to find it. But most of the time, somebody's going, I can just go get a TED talk for that. Yeah. Um, and, and so in both areas, if you look at where the business is usual to affect performance or future creativity, innovation to look at forward performance, mm we're not fully meeting either we're not mm. we're not 
completely delivering on either need. And, and it worries me. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we leave ourselves exposed to being, again, for want of a better phrase, found out. Um, all of the navel gazing and anxiety that we place on ROI, whether with what we do actually makes a difference and our inability to demonstrate that, I think should cause us um, anxiety. Um, but I, I, it leads me on to my next question, Serena. Uh, I wonder um, how the work that you've done so far, the conversations you've mm-hmm. had, have had you reflect on your own development, twofold actually, in how you've developed as an L&D professional up to now and what your priorities, what you deem now your priorities for your development from now on, from here on in. Okay. Um, so my master's was 20 years ago in uh, HR. Mm. And uh, I, I, I probably spent a year as a generalist before I, I went into learning and development. And it, it was, you know, we did CBT, computer-based training. In <laughs> I was <aging> there. Myself <laughs> now. <laughs> And, uh, there, you know, there was no such thing as classroom training. There was training and CBT. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, all training with classroom based. And so over, over the years there, I um, personally, the, the, the focus on the individual making learning personal to people, mm. recognizing that it's something that is so inherently part. I mean, the human race would not have survived if we weren't constantly learning. Yeah. With, we wouldn't get past, you know, the, the next minute of the day if we hadn't learned not to put our finger in a light socket. We are constantly mm. using learning and learning. And how do we bring that to the workplace and to the organization context? So I started looking at what do I know about learning? And as it turns out, in all honesty, before I started analyzing, I knew very little. Mm. I knew how to write a learning strategy and I knew how to build a curriculum and I know how to implement an LMS and I know how to choose a provider and I can spout out, you know, Blooms and Kirkpatrick's and all all these wonderful theories and draw Johari windows. But Mm. when I, how much do I know about critical reflection, mm. an individual taking time to process what is the time you need before you learn between you learning something and translating that into competency. And that's all was a huge um, aha for me. The fact mm. that I'd made it 17, 18 years in the profession without having to go down that angle also surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, I now really think that we are at such an amazing part. I mean, the, the the circumstances we are now, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, uh, as well as um, the ability to affect an organization right from its inception mm-hmm. means we really need to have the opportunity to sit and look back and go, what makes a great learning leader? What can I do to genuinely, in fact, I have this joke I keep saying, you'll never have a general legal counsel who's not a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But the number of le- learning people who, you know, I know that they're from the business, they've been there 20 years, mm-hmm. they want to develop, they, they like people, mm-hmm. let's make them head of learning. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the barriers to entry for us to be called a profession should be tightened. I'm glad I see things like the LPI capability map and the ATD um, skills framework. I, I, I'm glad to see CIPD levels of things. I really believe that the that we need to spend more time uh, learning what it is that we bring to the table mm. uh, and then how we can bring that in the most efficient way possible. Doesn't that speak to um, our stakeholders, um, others in um, decision-making uh 
roles in organisations having low expectations of L&D? I mean, if it's the provision of programmes and content, I mean, it's easy, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. But one of those, that's changing. And that's mm. also why the focus on these technology accelerated and startup organisations, the role of the founder, the role of the the people bringing you in, the the, the how early you are brought in as L&D, how strategic L&D needs to be a part a lot quicker is absolutely um, fascinating. You, mm. you, they, they're starting with the premise of realizing that people development is essential for the growth and the sustainability of their business. Mm. So then you need a learning professional who can help meet that business goal or who can prove, yes, I, I agree and I can help you do that. Um, and I, I, I don't want to... I think the people in our profession are incredible. I would mm. not have done as many interviews or had this much contribution to to my research. You know, I'm I'm just another L and D person in the field. Mm. If it wasn't for the the generosity, the willingness to share knowledge, and the willingness to develop and grow themselves um, mm. of the L and D profession. Uh, I, I think now that we're getting asked different exam questions, though, mm. and I think that we need to. Uh, look at how we answer them uh, for the new organisation. That's mm. all. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And one one thing that I um, that I've reflected over the years is missing to drive change throughout our profession uh, and to elevate people's expectation of us is leadership. I mean, if when we when we have people on programmes and we have managers or leaders. Um, uh, attending and then say, well, you know, that's not up to me. I'm not accountable for that. All we say to them is, no, you have to lead. But as soon as we're, we're then tasked with, well, how do you get people to engage in digital first solutions and have conversations about performance rather than learning, talk about outcomes rather than the events that are already planned, we accept that our organisations aren't ready. We don't accept that we have a role to develop our leadership. A lot of the time, we play the hands that we're dealt. Now, I've mentioned on this podcast before how L&D at a senior level is fundamentally different to management and below from the conversations with stakeholders you're exposed to and you're involved in to the analysis of needs and the solutions provided. Very little, in my experience, in my first decade, really prepared me for what was to come. What was your experience as you progressed, Serena? So my, my career has followed a, a slightly different trajectory. I, I've been internal uh, L&D, which was more OE when it was Thomson's before Thomson mm. Reuters. Uh, and then I went client-facing with, with IBM. So um, I, I, one of the, the steepest, most exhilarating learning curves of my career, because one of the things that had always bothered me is this concept people have that uh, L&D and HR, and uh, we don't understand how a business makes money. Mm. We don't understand commercials enough. And going client-facing in learning and development, in learning solutions, in organization change and strategy or and human capital management, as it was then called um, in, in IBM, gave me that perspective. It gave me um, that I think I felt closer to what a business was trying to mm. achieve very, very quickly. Um, and then internal again and part internal, part external with KPMG. And you realize you st some of the disconnects start becoming uh, apparent between what it is that we are expected to do. And you're right, by the time, it's what I was saying before, by the time we're told what we need to do, somebody has already decided the solution, not mm. the need. Um, and that changes once you take on the lead, uh, a leadership role and it changes very quickly. Mm. Um, you're sudden, sudden, suddenly, suddenly, <laughs> 
thinking about uh, broader things than a point solution. And the point solution still exists. You still might have to implement a huge learning platform or learning management system. You might still have to change the entire pre-boarding and onboarding process. You would still have to do leadership uh, development right from the new managers to C-suite transformational leadership. All of those solutions might not um, be different. Mm -hmm. What's different is you're brought in at the diagnosis. Uh, yeah. phase and you're thinking then what exactly is the issue here and is the solution a coaching intervention or a mm. learning intervention or and this is the bit i have i have a saying that i've, I've used a lot before if anybody's ever heard me speak there's no such thing as an lnd emergency yeah there just isn't and mm. that's three things one yes it is to do with work-life balance but two it's for you to go away and try something because if you try it and you fail it's not nobody's gonna die yeah. you know it's it, it, it it's the ability for you to go and the third and most important thing is that it allows you to sit back and think whether this is really a learning issue mm. and that was the biggest change I saw when I reached a certain level. The ability to go back and go, I know you think that sending this person on a leadership training will solve everything. However, if you fundamentally don't change the way they're incentivized mm -hmm. or they are appraised or they are progressed in the organization, then what you're telling them is that their behavior is all right. So I could get them an audience with the Pope for their coaching, it's not going to make a difference. No. So the ability to push back and say, is this really learning? Um, I, I think that's the, 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 the twist mm -hmm. that, that happens where you're, you're brought in at the discussion phase. And, and it's a fantastic place to be, but it's also a terrifying place yeah. to be. <laughs> uh, because it, it, if your organization doesn't allow that, that, the second point I said, you know, the ability to try and fail. And again, that also comes down to what you've built up coming because learning should be the ability to try, fail and try again. Mm. Um, that's what innovation is. That's what creativity is. That is what development is. Um, so if your organization doesn't allow for that, that second one, um, both as an L&D professional and at his organization, you have a problem. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yes, that's the, I think that was a huge penny drop for me in my career. Yeah, it completely resonates with me that, uh, that, that whether with the, the title and the experience, you gain the confidence to, uh, to want to run lighter experiments to try to move the needle in a meaningful way, working collaboratively with a group of people rather than simply preparing to deliver content or provide solutions. Number one, it's lighter and less risky, but also we find that, um, that, that you don't need to gain as much support both for an initiative or for investment in something that may or may not have the impact that you want. I know that the mistakes I made when I was younger, everything always needs to be a flagship program. It needed to be perfect that when people experienced it, they needed to have a wonderful experience within that. It, it's, it's, all the, it's, it's all the nice to have. It's the frills and bows that go along yeah. with a wonderful personality and, uh, and, uh, and, and drive and purpose. Uh, but of course, we see that, uh, that the current situation, the coronavirus pandemic, has meant that organisations and the L&D teams within them have had to adapt. But you know, in, in, in the last few weeks and, um, um, and with the coming weeks, restrictions will begin to be lifted. 
How do you see the role of L&D in these coming, coming weeks and months, Serena? Um, so I, I think that's a really good question because it, for the first time in 20 years, I find myself on the outside looking in. Um, I find myself being a researcher rather than a practitioner and researcher in, in the field. It's, a, it's an odd feeling because it, so much is happening. So uh, this, I'm going to be a bit on the fence on this and go, there's three ways this will go. Mm. Um, one, I think there'll be um, a huge dip and then we probably will try our damnedest to go back to business as usual mm. like you know after 9-11 for a few months nobody flew and then it all came back again after 2008 everything was slashed down everything built up again so this might be a huge a thing that happened we will make some short-term savings in order to get your business back on track and then we mm. plod along working i i doubt it but it's a possibility like mm. like everything else is um I think that the, another one is the conversation that we are having with organizations are actually thinking about what learning brings to the table mm. will get accelerated. So, for example, if in the last three months, and I have spoken with a, in my interviews with a few, mm. if, if what you've been asked to do is, hey, everybody is go, going on furlough or on um or working from home, convert our entire curriculum and make it online. Take this three-day course and make it into a one-hour e-learning. And if that's what we spent our time doing and we made everything online and accessible and, and a whole bunch of digital content, um, and then the organization's going, so why do I need you? Yeah. Uh, and that's also... It's. It, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm saying the both both lenses are are wrong, mm. uh, but it's a very very big possibility where the conversation that we're having now gets accelerated and proving worth because money will be tighter. Bottom mm. lines will be uh, very different from what uh, projections were. Recovery time for businesses in this time, and you need to one ask the question of yourself in order for the business to get back to where it was, in order for organizations to get back to that same level, what is my contribution in order to make that happen? And if we can't articulate that well, um, somebody else is asking the same question mm. of, of themselves as well as the, in, in the business. And, and third thing I wanted to talk about was this other end of the possibility where uh, people will be completely sick of digital. Mm. We, uh, there's, um, I, there are jokes on Zoom and the overuse of it. The, I, when we finish, please go and Google elephant in the Zoom. It's a thing. It, it, people are absolutely tired of interacting with their screens. They want mm. to go and shake hands. They want to go and sit opposite people. They want to have human contact and interaction. Uh, and so I know while uh, you know, there are onboarding programs where you flew people around the world and you're now discovering the how cost effective and and but just as effective it is to do this online mm. and so we're never going to go back the old way i know while that will happen i do also think that there'll be an element of wanting the human interaction again and the mm. role that uh, of of the human trainer and facilitator uh, will be looked at in that con the context again i there is a very very big possibility that we will have to look at when when digital was a supplement or when it existed as an also have, it mm. was, we could get away with it being quality X or format X. Now, 
what must it look like for us to really get people to use it because we either don't have the bandwidth to send people around or we recognize that people are absolutely fed up of the old way of it mm. working because for three months that's all they did um yeah that's it that's interesting i I don't know what it's going to be. I think that uh, from my work on strategic foresight initiatives at Disney, it's very rarely um, the linear and obvious um, uh, answer that 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 is likely to come true. So many things completely blindside us. But I love the way you've described that. You've got uh, we can either continue down this path of working with digital in order to to affect performance and results, or we can do the popular thing. Uh, you described there in your last one. I mean, there'll be a lot of L&D functions who'll be asked just to bring people together. Uh, and then what we're doing is we're seeking byproducts of uh, of investment rather than it really servicing a purpose. Uh, and that's a that's a risk to to both the um, to to us to be a serious profession uh, and not just um, uh, to be order takers who rate our effectiveness by satisfaction via happy sheets and the like. It's a it's a it's a yeah. big risk and it's probably a balancing act that we're going to be facing. You used a very important word before, which I jotted down to come back to, and that's impact. It's yeah. how we are measuring. And of course, we've got a, a whole other conversation on, on analytics and data science and how we use it differently and better and move beyond uh, the dreaded keyword of the mm. 50s for evaluation. <laughs> um, but it's uh, I, th- I think more and more impor- important will be on how we are using our data to cause real business impact, mm. looking at business performance, business values, business objectives, and therefore business metrics, um, and how what we do translates in, into all of those. I think that's mm. going to be much more significant in any of the three scenarios, right? Mm. That That is the, the one which unifies it all. Mm. Um, how are we impacting individual and business performance. Mm. And I suppose as, uh, as your research continues, you're going to be having conversations with L&D leaders um, uh, uh, all through the the, um, the easing of restrictions. And so I'm sure that you'll be finding a great deal out um, about people's experiences during that time, which leads me to my final question. Um, when are you hoping to complete your research and when and how uh, do you plan to publish your work? Right. So the, the the university gives me another three years. If I'm doing this for another three years, I, I think I will. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm hoping that in the next 18 months or so that I will have completed uh, in, in the interviews. I'm I'm also if I can do a shameless plug here, mm. it is important for this research to be as global as possible. And as always the the leader learning leaders i'm speaking with tend to be uk us and a bit of continental europe i mm. would love to hear from people in asia more people i, I have spoken to a couple in in australia and they're doing some incredible work mm. as well but i i'd love that to be more south america africa i think it's important for us to see what are the challenges. Companies are all global now, but mm. solutions seem to be led from wherever the head office is. Uh, well, as learning challenges are the same pretty much everywhere around the world. Um, so I, I like this to be over the next 18 months is what I have given myself. Um, <laughs> it's funny when you say that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I, 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 it all depends on... Our, our, for the quality of the conversations, for the insight that I'm getting from people, from the learnings that I'm acquiring, if it takes a bit longer to get this in, then mm-hmm. so be it. Uh, 
publishing. Uh, right now, it's a, it'll be a, a doctoral thesis of 65,000 words. Um, mm -hmm. So help me God. Uh, <laughs> it has no other, the, the whole point of doing this was, it, it's altruistic, it's unbiased, it's qualitative, mm -hmm. it is a, a view of from and from the weeds. It's mm -hmm. an L&D professional's view on how we can better our profession. And so it's free. It's mm -hmm. um, Everybody has it. I'll put it on LinkedIn. Um, I can. I know how exciting it is to read 65,000 words of academia, so I can clip it up into <laughs> bits and disseminate it. But there is no, no, nothing other than wanting to keep us relevant, keep us in our jobs, affect mm. real change, and um, further our own knowledge of our of ourselves and, and our context. Wonderful. And I hope that, uh, like that. That, that you'll agree to come back onto the podcast to, uh, to have another conversation once that's done. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to connect with you, Serena, um, perhaps follow your work um, and uh, wait to see what you publish, how can they do so? Uh, LinkedIn is is probably the the easiest. There's a little film there already, which introduces the research, and uh, both Brian Sutton and Don Taylor very kindly uh, gave their voice to it. There'll be a few more films that I'll put together, excerpts from some conversations um, I've had, and uh, also a few articles every now and again. I, I need to maintain a fine balance. I am getting completely contradictory views at the moment. Um, mm sometimes from within the profession and sometimes between the people servicing the profession and those within the profession. And I want to make sure that I have, in a, you know, it, it's not anecdotal. Mm. When I go and put something out there that it is, um, it, it's an opinion, but it is a, a researched and, and thorough opinion mm. um, before it's out there. So it's striking that balance about in how quickly I need to put things out. Yeah, wonderful. And I think it will be hugely valuable to the profession. Serena, thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. David, thank you ever so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> wonderful. It's one thing to predict the future of our profession, but to overlay that with a lens of having led L&D functions, fully appreciating the expectations and limitations that are experienced in-house will add greater credibility. And I, for one, will be looking forward to reading Serena's work when it's published. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now. <laughs>